Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Happy Thanksgiving, early Thanksgiving to all our listeners out there. It's a festive week of football, as I like to call it, and of course family, but football too. Yeah, I'm I'm very partial to Thanksgiving, and football is a big part of that. I am very excited to to hang out with you, hang out with the family. Um, we have a, I'd say we have a very low key Thanksgiving, and I and that's part of the reasons why I really enjoy it so much. There's a lot of football, a lot of eating, and not much else. And so I'm I'm really excited to 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 do that again with you. It's definitely a veg out day. And it's it's even more exciting because the slate of Thanksgiving games this year are actually really really good. Like, yeah, we'll get we'll probably talk about this more later, but there are three really good games this yeah. year. And I mean, obviously that helps when the Cowboys and the Lions are competitive um, for, for obvious <laughs> certainly, reasons. But certainly, so that makes it uh, a higher potential for enjoyable games. But. Um, Certainly, we're gonna excited for for those Thanksgiving games, but there is a huge game further down on the uh, on the calendar here this Saturday, rivalry weekend, and the the game is the biggest game of the weekend: Michigan versus Ohio State. Uh, very likely, a, a college football playoff berth on the line for these teams. Uh, most likely, unless crazy things happen, a winner-take-all type scenario for either of these guys. Um, first time both of these teams ranked in the top five going head-to-head since 2006. That was when they were ranked number one and number two. Uh, Chris, is the rivalry? are you announcing that the rivalry is back now? I mean, how can you not? I mean, you've got number two versus number three or number two versus number four, depending on what poll you look at. Either way, they are two of the best teams in the nation, two contenders for the national championship, and they are playing for everything. I don't think this is a play-in game. We'll get to all the scenarios in a minute, but it is definitely a play-out game. The loser of this game, I cannot see recovering. That I don't see any scenario where the loser of this game makes the playoff field. We'll talk about that later, but just the magnitude of the rivalry has been enhanced ever since Michigan hired Jim Harbaugh. You've got Urban Meyer on the other side. You've got two teams that are blue blood college football programs, and they're finally playing for something significant. This is the first time since 2007 the year after that 1v2 game, where the game was actually relevant in that both teams were playing for something, and that was Lloyd Carr's last year. Since Michigan axed him, Michigan has been irrelevant. They have been a college football footnote, and that is not just the rivalry talking. That is a fact. The only year they beat Ohio State was when Ohio State was destroyed by sanctions. Luke Fickle was their coach, and Ohio State still almost beat them. That was Michigan's only good year, and even then they were only like, okay. I know they won 11 games, but but I don't think anyone viewed them as a real contender. This year, they are back to the Michigan of old, the always-in-the-title-hunt kind of Michigan team, and it's only been two years under Harbaugh's reign. So, Yes, the rivalry is definitely back. Yeah, um, it's back on paper, but I need to see a game where this is actually a close matchup. 
um, since 2004, Michigan has won once uh, against Ohio State. Um, last year, Jim Harbaugh's first year was a 42 to 13 blowout in Ann Arbor. I understand both these teams are have a lot on the line. It is shaping up to be a, a classic game, but the the game has to be enjoyable itself. Um, and it looks like we are on the brink of Michigan versus Ohio State having some serious relevance once again. Uh, we've been missing that, like you said, for. Uh, the, the past nine seasons, really, uh, where, where both teams ha- have stakes on the line. But again, Michigan needs to show up to play. If Ohio State runs all over them, runs up and down the field like they did last year, you know, people were expecting a, a closer game last year uh, in Ann Arbor, and Ohio State just uh, steamrolled them, and they did whatever they wanted to do against them. If Michigan just turns tail and lays down in front of Ohio State, I, it's it's not – it's still not that classic rivalry. This needs to be a close game for me to say that, yeah, this thing is back. I need to see a good game on the verge of being a classic game for me to say that. Yeah, and I hear what you're saying because, you know, even though both teams are good and even though Michigan is back, they have not beaten Ohio State. I mean, they've only beaten them once since their last win in 2003. And that is a ridiculous run. Um, and so you almost feel that Michigan needs to win this game more than Ohio State to announce to the world that, hey, you know, this isn't a sanctioned Ohio State team. This is an Urban Meyer Ohio State team. This is an Ohio State team that is, you know, playing for everything, that it has national championship aspirations, and we took it to them in Columbus. It would be a big road victory for them. I, like most people, was shocked that Michigan got rolled last year. I thought it was going to be a very close game. I was actually very worried about the game. I couldn't believe Ohio State steamrolled them. I, I, I could not believe it. But this year, if Michigan were to go into Columbus and win, I agree with you in that sense that, that it would turn the tide and really give Ohio State fans a reason to truly hate Michigan again. The rivalry is still there. There's still dislike. But I do think... I agree in the sense that it's lost some luster on the Ohio State side because it's become more of a formality that, hey, we're going to beat Michigan this year. I don't feel that way this year, but it's it's become just – we've become so used to winning that Michigan's got to show something in order for this to, to truly be back for the long term beyond just this year. But this matchup in particular – is what the rivalry is all about, this one coming up on Saturday. For sure. It could definitely be a, a comeback announcement for the rivalry in, in every sense and kind of nail, nail home that, that effect. Uh, a win in Columbus for Michigan would be the first since the year 2000, so have not won in Columbus in, in the past 16 years. Uh, certainly uh, will be interesting to see, and I'm sure there will be lots of more historical tidbits and facts that, that you pick up as you watch the game. But, Chris, uh the, the previous week and for, for both of these teams really uh, had some cause for concern. I mean, Ohio State versus Michigan State, um, yes, some some uh, poor weather, especially, I mean, we'll talk about poor weather when we talk about the Michigan game, but um, Michigan State t- has had a chance to, to kick an extra point to tie that game in the fourth corner, 17 to 17, instead went, decided to go for two, uh, didn't get it, and Ohio State hung on to a one-point lead. Michigan uh, pulled ahead against Indiana late for a 20 to 10 lead. Uh, 
ha- have concerns uh, for, for their quarterback. Their starting quarterback uh, might not play uh, against Ohio State. Um, are you concerned for either of these teams? Are you concerned for one more than the other? Um, not really. And here's why. Okay, first off, I, I said when Ohio State beat Indiana that Indiana was going to be a pest all year. And they have been just that. Now, they haven't pulled out any upsets, but Penn State struggled with Indiana. Ohio State struggled with Indiana despite the final lopsided score. That game was a lot closer than the final indicated. And now Michigan struggled with Indiana. So so Indiana has lived up to its pest reputation. I, I'm not too concerned about that. And I think we've seen with Ohio State that the Buckeyes are a totally different team playing a conference game on the road than they are at home. All of their struggles this year have come on the road at Wisconsin, at Penn State, and now at Michigan State. So so I'm not too alarmed by that. And furthermore, even though Michigan State, everyone kept saying they were only a three-win team, blah, 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 the bottom line is Michigan State, Ohio State has become, over the recent years, just as big of a rivalry as Ohio State, Michigan, in terms of you know the temperature of the time rival. Michigan State has been Ohio State's biggest competition in the Big Ten for the last three or four years. There is no doubt in my mind that they staked their season on this game. They're not bowl eligible. They viewed Ohio State as their bowl game and they gave a very spirited effort. Now, if we're getting to the X and O's of the game, I love a walk-off two-point conversion, but 440 left in the game is not a walk-off two-point conversion. Way too early to be thinking walk-off two there. Kick the field goal, because that way if you hold Ohio State to a field goal, you haven't just played your way out of the game. But as far as cost was concerned, I'm not really all that concerned, because I I think that the two teams they were facing um, were a little bit better than maybe their record indicated. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned for both to be honest. I mean, uh, Michigan losing its starting quarterback this late in the season. I mean, that has to ring a bell and, and raise alarms. Now, this is a Michigan team that is not known for its offense. I mean, uh, talk about the the immovable object versus uh, you know an unstoppable force. We have Michigan allowing uh, a league low 11 points per game, and Ohio State in, in the top five scoring. Uh, 43.8 points per game so we'll, we'll see what happens but Michigan certainly hangs their hat on hard-nosed tough playing defense and as we see the the weather get more inclement and you know they're they're calling for for rain and cold weather on Saturday in Columbus uh you know that's going to play to their strength but still you have to have a, a competent confident quarterback when you're on the road against your biggest rival so definitely a cause for concern on Michigan's side and then uh, against Michigan State, you know, JT Barrett did not impress me. Uh, he cannot, for for whatever reason, his ability to throw the ball uh, to the outside and down the field has just gone away. Now his wide receivers during that Michigan State game uh, did not bail him out, uh, but there are some really poor throws. And uh, we've seen in the times where Urban Meyer has lost and when uh, Ohio State has played close games, their offense, the flash and, and, and the glam of that you know spread option offense uh gets relegated to JT Barrett just being a battering ram up the middle and Michigan is strong enough and fast enough to uh shut down those receivers on the outside and make him do that again and become a very predictable offense so I'm concerned for both of them and I think that uh that their woes or struggles against Michigan State and Indiana are indicative of a very big 10 classic uh 
ugly football game that's going to play out on Saturday. Yeah, I definitely think that the Michigan defense uh, has an edge against the Ohio State offense because Ohio State's offense is so predicated on its running attack. And you saw it against Michigan State. JT Barrett is a very dynamic quarterback. I don't think he is a very strong passing quarterback. I think that when he is forced to make plays down the field and forced in the long passing situations, I don't think that is his strong suit. And so I do think Michigan's defense is going to try to make him a passer. I think that that is going to be one of the biggest keys of the game is can JT Barrett and these Ohio State wide receivers beat the Michigan defense through the air because Michigan has one of the best rushing defenses in the nation. They are going to pick their poison and dare Ohio State to throw it downfield. At least that's what I think that they will do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's just something JT Barrett should not attempt rushes more than he attempts throws. And, and that's what he did against Michigan State. 24 carries versus 22 attempts with the ball. Uh, there's just something out of whack with it. I understand that that includes uh, any sacks that Barrett involved, but um, that, that's, just, that's a ratio that, that doesn't, that's not uh, conducive to, to the high octane offense that Ohio State has. They, they need to pick their poison when JT Barrett should keep the ball for big gains and really utilize Curtis Samuel and Mike Weber as the catalyst for that run game and start throwing the ball uh, successfully and in creative ways. And if they, if they're unable to do that, if Michigan is able to uh, be the dominant defense we've seen, I I do think Ohio state will be in in some serious trouble. Oh yeah. I definitely think that uh, Curtis Samuel and Mike Weber need to be, you know, more involved, uh, get more touches and whatnot. Um, But you, but you're right. I mean, like I said, you know, whenever Ohio State has struggled, it has been when they have not been able to just, you know, dominate on the ground, and they've been forced to throw the ball. So Michigan is definitely going, and, and this is easily the best defense they've faced with all due respect to Wisconsin. I think Michigan's defense is probably just a little bit better. Um, so I anticipate a slugfest, but Bob, the way Ohio State's defense just got gashed by Michigan State's running game, uncharacteristically, by the way, they've been pretty stout against the run this year. Uh, it, it is cause for concern on that end of the ball as well. For sure. I mean, that's the only reason Michigan State was in the game. They they could not the, – the quarterback could not drop back to throw the ball for the life of him. Anytime he, he held on to the ball for more than a few seconds, he had one or two guys uh, on that Ohio State defensive line in his face – um, again, everything is better uh, facing Michigan. I don't think that they will struggle as much against that pass rush, but it's ferocious on Ohio State, that front four, um, and, and Michigan State, or excuse me, uh, Michigan, uh, with, with uh, their second-string quarterback, will heavily rely on that run game for sure, and uh, that's definitely a cause con- for concern, uh, again, for the Ohio State side. Um, Chris, I mean, what is it time for a prediction? Who, who do you have? It's tough. It's tough. Just just one more quick stat. Curtis Samuel only had eight touches, four catches, four runs, and Mike Weber had 14 carries. I, I feel like Weber should be the one with 24 carries and Barrett 14, and Curtis Samuel needs to p- touch the ball, I think, in the uh, more 12 to 15 touches range rather than just eight. I, I definitely think that if Ohio State can get those two more involved with the offense, uh, it, it will help everything. And JT Barrett, 10 of 22 for 86 yards against Michigan State. So so the offensive numbers, not great. It was also on the road. Ohio State has played a lot better at home 
than they have on the road. I do think Ohio State will play better at home. I have a bad feeling about this pick, but I don't want to go against Ohio State, so I will pick the Buckeyes to win. But I do, I just have this feeling in my gut that this is the game Michigan turns the rivalry on its head. But I'm going to stay true and believe that Urban Meyer and Ohio State will beat Michigan. Yeah, I, I think I'm picking Ohio State uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's at home. Uh, as you have alluded to, Ohio State's better at home. Two, Michigan's quarterback, question mark. Uh, you know, that, never good to pick a to pick the team with the, with the backup quarterback on the road against their biggest rival. Um, and three, I, I just think Ohio State on both sides of the ball, uh, I know we just talked them down a lot, but when they come to play, I mean, I, I think they are as talented or the best team in the nation with their speed and, and combine that with the strength that they have. Uh, I think Ohio State will pull it out. I don't think it's going to be a pretty win. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I don't think it's going to be a shootout for them. I think it's going to be low scoring, but they just have uh, more playmakers than Michigan. I think that that uh, late in the game, they are going to go up by a touchdown or or maybe 10 points and and pull it out. Now, now I will say one thing. John O'Corn, Michigan's backup quarterback, is not your typical backup. He is a transfer from Houston, did two years there, so he has big-time football experience. But against Indiana – did not look very good. Very one-dimensional offense. So certainly the concerns about Ohio State being one-dimensional. Um, JT Barrett at least has shown that he can air it out um, he, like against Oklahoma. Uh, John O'Corn, uh, second start with the Wolverines. Certainly it's good that he got some rust shaken off against Indiana, but he's going to have to really pick it up if they're going to beat the Buckeyes because the Buckeyes do have a very dynamic defense and if Michigan's going to be one-dimensional that'll be easier on them too so so I agree with you Bob I don't think this is going to be a high scoring game I think this is going to be a slugfest yeah uh, I think everything is just pointing in that direction what we saw in the past weekend the weather prediction uh, for for uh, what's going on in Columbus on Saturday uh, I think it's going to be a, a, cl- a throwback Big Ten uh, a matchup and uh, probably be really fun to watch on Thanksgiving weekend. All right, so just taking it out big picture here, Bob. The Big Ten could get crazy, especially if Ohio State wins. Um, I'm sure most people know by now that Michigan's the team that controls its own destiny. Penn State needs Ohio State to win and win itself. And Ohio State needs to beat Michigan and hope Michigan State can upset Penn State. Uh, if Penn State wins and Ohio State wins, Penn State's going to the Big Ten Championship. Um, so Ohio State isn't even in a play-in situation. It needs help. If Ohio State wins and Penn State's in the Big Ten title game, could this be the year the Big Ten sends two teams to the college football playoff? Do you think Wisconsin or Penn State would claim one of those four spots as two lost conference champions? Uh, I, I do not. Um, now, uh, that... I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think it's certainly possible if the Pac-12 uh, completely falls apart uh, into chaos, meaning that if Washington isn't the Pac-12 champion, uh, I, I think that that could certainly happen and, and will be considered for sure. But I, I think if you have a Pac-12 champion in Washington with just the one loss, uh, I think you have to give the nod to them playing the extra game, or excuse me, not playing an extra game, but having one le- one less loss and, and being a champion of the conference um I, I think you'd have to give them the nod over over 
uh, either of those two teams. Yeah, I definitely think it would be interesting if it's Wisconsin and Washington. I could see Wisconsin getting in over Washington because of the overall strength of schedule. Yes, Wisconsin has two losses, but losses to Michigan and Ohio State are, are actually pretty impressive. Um, you know, and, and yeah, Washington lost USC, but I do think Wisconsin's resume is a little bit better. It, it, that would be an interesting debate. I don't think Penn State gets in even if it wins the Big Ten. Um, are, are we in agreement that Ohio State, even if it doesn't play in the Big Ten title game at 11-1, and would get in over both of those teams, which would be unprecedented based on the past? I think it's headed that way. Um, you know, it, it's we talked about it last week, but it's certainly a, a chance for the playoff committee to add some precedence and, and some wrinkles into what makes a college football uh, team or a college football playoff team um, – but yeah, I think uh, if when you consider the body of work, the the win over Oklahoma, uh, just the one loss against Penn State, should they beat uh, Michigan, I, I think it's really hard to um, discredit or, or to just to consider that that Wisconsin or or, or Penn State would be better uh, than Ohio State. Okay, so so since All State is a big con- uh, sponsor of college football, do you think the committee will give some accident forgiveness to Oklahoma State? for its Central Michigan loss. Because remember, early in the year we talked about this, Oklahoma State definitely should have won that game. There's no doubt the last play should not have been run. You can just chop it off and give Oklahoma State a win. There's no controversy there, in my opinion. If they did that, Oklahoma State would be a one-loss Big 12 champion. Do you think that if Oklahoma State wins against Oklahoma this last week because that game will decide the Big 12 title that Oklahoma State could maybe make a run at the field um no I I don't think so I I think that you know a a loss is a loss uh yes that's not a a, it wasn't a blowout loss it wasn't an embarrassing loss um but nobody's really going to remember that Oklahoma State got uh, a robbed out of that situation. I think a, a more real situation is that T- time out real quick. It, it, it has been talked about on national TV, so everyone remembers it. Yeah, I, I mean, they're talking about it. I don't think that that is going to have any weight uh, in the playoff committee. Sorry, I don't watch a lot of TV these days. Uh, <laughs> no, it's all it. good. It's all good. Um, I think a more real situation, more a more interesting situation, is what happens if Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State um, with only a loss to uh, in the first week to Houston and a, and a loss to Ohio state um, should some dominoes fall. I mean, Oklahoma as big 12 champion could be considered uh, for the college football playoff, which I think would be pretty incredible, but uh, I don't think it's, I think that's a more real situation uh, than, you know, people turning a blind eye to Oklahoma state's uh, fluke loss. Yeah, and I actually think if Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State and is 9-0 in the Big 12, there is no way Ohio State doesn't make the tournament. No way. They will have beaten Michigan, Wisconsin, and an undefeated Big 12 champion. That's three top 10 wins with Nebraska hanging around about 15. I just can't see how you keep that team out of the field, even if Penn State's the Big 10 champion. Um, Some other interesting scenarios, Bob. What if Colorado upsets Washington and both of them are two losses? Then you'd have Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Washington, Colorado. I mean, it could get crazy for that fourth spot because it is going to open up. The loser of Ohio State-Michigan is going to drop behind all those teams in the pecking order. 
I don't think the loser of the of the game will recover to qualify for the field. Yeah, I I don't think so either, uh, especially considering uh, should Ohio State win, Michigan would have that two two losses and then would be ineligible for that uh, championship game. And you know, with Oklahoma being a potential Big Twelve champion, with uh, uh, Colorado being a potential Pac twelve champion, uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be hard for for both of those teams to make it just because they're playing so late and both have uh, that one loss. So. Yeah, it, it could certainly get interesting. I think uh, if Oklahoma is Big 12 champion and, and you're comparing resumes to Colorado or Wisconsin, I, I, I would have to give the nod to Oklahoma uh, just for playing that, that competitive out-of-conference schedule. I mean, uh, yeah, Houston dropped a couple of games, but they still uh, are, are now back in, in into the rankings, and obviously Ohio State has done so well. I think Oklahoma is making a, a strong case for being the fourth team should uh, a lot of chaos ensue. Uh, in, in this final week and let's not forget early in the year Michigan when they beat Colorado we kind of scoffed it off Colorado's a top 10 team now that's a big resume builder for them if Michigan hadn't lost to Iowa uh, a loss to Ohio State might not have eliminated them uh, so it would have definitely been uh, a little more interesting had Michigan not choked that game up yeah for sure uh, definitely a lot of jockeying for uh well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe potentially the second seed, uh, definitely that fourth spot. Uh, just depends uh, if Clemson wins out, and uh, th- they might be make it all the way up to number two. I don't know, but there are definitely two spots that that are a lot of intrigue. Uh, one doesn't have a whole lot, and that's uh, Alabama's spot. I think they are uh, pretty pretty confident in, in their position, but um, going to be some interesting uh, things happening for those last two spots. All Alabama has to do is split really and it's in I, I think the only way it would be in jeopardy is if it loses its last two game and is somehow an 11 and 2 non-conference champion I think think that would really be a black eye for them but I even think they could absorb a loss in the iron bowl and still qualify yeah I I, I agree um it, it, that is unlikely losing but um I, I think should that uh occur I, I think they still obviously they wouldn't be the number one seed but I, I think you'd still have to give them the nod if they go one and one uh in in these next two games especially if their loss is just in the sec title game that which could also throw a monkey wrench if florida's there at a two loss sec champion but i don't think florida's getting in regardless i i don't know their yeah, two I mean, losses florida, i don't think are as easy to forgive yeah and they still have to go up against florida state and uh, i don't that's not a, a gimme win by, by any means, uh, especially for a Florida team that can't still can't score the ball. I mean, that's what we talk about every year with them, but um, shaping up for a crazy race as always. Uh, the one last quick thing, uh, we didn't even talk about Houston rolling Louisville 36 to 10. Bob, the Cougars have got to really be kicking themselves for those two losses. I mean, if they were undefeated right now, they would definitely be in the driver's seat for a playoff spot. Yeah. Uh, kicking themselves and now Houston is good enough for Tom Herman to uh move to another position not great enough for for them to vilify him for for leaving you know if he were undefeated and leading them to a title he might be obligated to stay but now he's being talked up for Texas and and with Texas firing Charlie Strong I mean I think it's gonna be hard for them to retain him but yeah, they have to be kicking themselves in terms of the the season itself. Uh, they they would certainly be in the discussion if they, if they didn't uh, drop some of those games in the middle of the season. 
Just a quick correction. There have been a lot of reports on the Charlie Strong firing. Nothing official just yet, but there is a lot of smoke brewing in Texas. Uh, yeah, I, would, uh, I would be pretty surprised if he uh, keeps his job. Yeah, uh, sorry. You're, you're right. I, I, I read he was originally reported fire, and then they backtracked on that. I'm sorry. But, I mean, I think the writing's on the wall for Charlie Strong, especially when you have a coach in Texas that is doing great things in Tom Herman. So, um yeah, not not too long for for Charlie Strong in Texas, but but, but three years, man. I mean, I, I understand it's Texas, but but at the same time, you st- I, I I'm of the oak that you still got to give coach a little bit of breathing room in college to get his guys in there. And it's not like he was inheriting a Texas that just came off a national championship. They had been trending down for a while. So if he gets fired, I think it would be a little bit wrong because he had a lot of success in Louisville. Yeah, I think it's a little unfair, uh, especially given the rise of uh, TCU and Baylor in the Big 12 that have kind of sapped Texas's uh, stronghold uh, of that recruiting state. And then you factor in Houston is is rising up and, and Texas A&M has a little bit has been emergent in the past few years. You know, it's not the Longhorns aren't aren't what they were in, in peak Mac Brown years. It's not as easy to recruit there as uh, as it was back in his time but still I mean I don't know three years uh, Jim Harbaugh's you know one game away from playing in a national uh, for, a, for a playoff and he's just in year two so uh, I mean that's that's the that's the life of a NC of a top 10 program alleged top 10 program in college football be careful what you wish for man those big time jobs come with big time expectations it is uh pretty ridiculous the pressure these guys are under but uh yeah but we we've strayed away from cleveland a little bit but uh, a lot of college football information to digest and all of it pertains to the buckeyes man they're right at the center of it it could be a really interesting finish i'm going to be really anxious to see these uh committee rankings when they come out on tuesday but uh bob i was not happy with the cy young vote uh cory kluber i thought he got hosed uh, what what are your what is your reaction to Rick Porcello winning it? Uh, not surprised. Uh, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I'm disappointed because I think, uh, give me name Verlander, Kluber, and Rick Porcello, and I am. That's a really interesting debate with Justin Verlander and Corey Kluber, Kluber, who you want on your team, and and Rick Porcello. I would just laugh at. Um, I, I don't think he's uh. He turned in a fine season. I I don't want to say he's a bad pitcher, but I don't think he's on the level of these other two guys. Um, but it's to be expected. I mean, we uh, it's hard to separate postseason Corey Kluber with the regular season Corey Kluber, and, and we discussed that in, in, when we were predicting these awards. But um, certainly Corey Kluber in the postseason, uh, if the voters watched him pitch, uh, especially you know he, he his team beat Rick Porcello. Rick Porcello lost against the Indians. I think Kluber would have been a runaway Cy Young winner, but at the end of the regular season is when they vote for these awards and in the body of work of the regular season, uh, wins still hold some weight and being a Boston Red Sox pitcher. I mean, it was only natural. I think interestingly though, uh, Justin Verlander, uh, got more first place votes than anybody uh, of the three, but still, uh, uh, with weighted voting, Rick Porcello, uh, got the most points and, and won the Cy Young. So probably the most contested, A.L. Cy Young, I, I can remember, and, and probably the, the the least deserving. Uh, yeah, I, I am disgusted by the two writers who did not even put Justin Verlander on their ballots. I, I don't understand how you can 
rank. And look, I'm a Cleveland fan. I, I'm not a Detroit fan. There is a bit of a rivalry there. I'm, I'm not even a Justin Verlander fan. If I had a ballot in my hand, he's definitely on it. I mean, there is no way you can't tell me that this guy wasn't one of the three to five best pitchers in the American League. How he wasn't even on the ballot is indefensible. I understand how the system works. You can win more first place votes and not win. And yes, the two writers who left them off would have had to at least vote Verlander third or better in order for him to win. Both of them, that is. But but seriously, Bob, I mean, that is just wrong. Completely wrong. Yeah, it, it's really hard to, to fathom why that, that happened. Um <laughs> Other than they just didn't did not want Justin Verlander to win or, or wanted somebody else to win and, and wanted to boost them up, I, I think that's really, really inexcusable and, and kind of very upsetting uh, to see that happen with this award. I mean, if you just look at the numbers, other than the win total, I mean, Kluber and Verlander are outpaced Porcello in just about every other category, and it it's not it's not even close in, in some of these. So. I don't know. I, I, I'm disappointed. I, I thought that uh, we are kind of in a post-classic uh, statistical categories voting age, you know, with uh, wins above replacement and uh, other metrics that we value pitchers and batters by. But clearly, uh, the classics still hold weight, and, and that's you know, wins, uh, a, a nice ERA, and, and a high number of innings pitched. Um, it, it's just disappointing. But again. Uh, kind of to be expected when when you're when you have a a Boston Red Sox pitcher with more than 20 wins. Yeah, and and that's just the bottom line. A big market pitcher, more than 20 wins. Um look, you could have made a cases for Chris Sale, JA Happ, or Zach Britton, and I, I have nothing against you. But if you're choosing five, Verlander's in your five no matter what. Now, he doesn't necessarily have to be third, so he 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 definitely it wasn't a guarantee that he would have won had he just been included. Um but but I think Justin Verlander kind of got hosed more than Corey, Corey Kluber did. I, I would have voted Kluber because I thought he was the best. But certainly I wouldn't have had a problem with a deserving candidate winning the award. And I feel like Justin Verlander um, was the superior pitcher to Rick Porcello. I, I thought Porcello was the clear third of the three. And um, you know, I, I just think it's unfortunate that uh, you know we may never know in, in the sense that, that I, I feel like he should have been included on everyone's ballot. I, I just can't see how you can look at a guy who led in so many categories and leave him off your ballot completely. I, I just I think that's wrong, um, ultimately. Funny little tidbit, though. Matt Scherzer wins the NL Cy Young. Rick Porcello, the AL Cy Young. Both of those pitchers used to be in the Tigers rotation with Justin Verlander. Kind of a little bit of salt on the wound for Detroit, if you're a Detroit fan. Yeah, I, well, those guys are making a lot of money, so a hard pill to swallow, uh, you know. But the, the, yeah, they they raise quality pitchers. I mean, Michael Fulmer won, won Rookie of the Year, another starter for for Detroit. So uh, they know what they're doing in terms of brewing some, some starting pitching. Um, any other takeaways from from the rest of the awards? Uh, not really. I mean, the AL MVP could have gone any which way. Um, you know, Mike Trout winning it certainly deserving. Um, Rookie of the year, obviously I wanted Naquin to win, but I have no problems with Michael Fulmer winning it. He had a fantastic year. 
Um, I'm just glad Sanchez did not win it. I'm not happy that Naquin finished behind him, but no one remembers second place, so it doesn't matter. Fulmer, certainly very deserving of the Rookie of the Year. Fantastic uh, debut um, and probably will be a pest to the Indians for years to come. Um, But none of the other awards really surprised me that much. Yeah, I mean, Dave Roberts outpacing Joe Madden of her NL Manager of the Year might be the the biggest upset uh, of the night. Um, I was really surprised that of the 19 uh, batters that got AL MVP votes, uh, Mike Napoli wasn't on the list. I I, I find that kind of hard to swallow. Um, you know, 30 over 30 home runs over 100 RBIs on on one of the best teams in baseball, and he didn't get any votes. Interestingly, Jose Ramirez did get some votes. I thought that was nice uh, for in terms of Cleveland and AL MVP voting. Obviously. Francisco Lindor with, Lindor with a top 10 finish. I think that was really deserving. But yeah, uh, Mike Napoli not being on the list, I, I found that surprising. Uh, yeah, I do think Mike Napoli's, the way he finished the season kind of on a low note hurt him there. I think if he had kept up the pace and been kind of flirting with 40, uh, he would have gotten some consideration. But but certainly, I mean, he comes to a team that turns around and becomes a World Series uh, finalist you would think that they'd give him credit for being one of the catalysts, the additions to to get him there, and he certainly was just that. So, uh, yeah, that that is a little surprising. But again, when you consider the the Cleveland market and whatnot, it, it's not it's totally shocking. Well, that is a wrap on a 2016 MLB season. Uh, the hot stove is already brewing. I already have some trades, some signings. Um, we will break down that uh, once most of the free agency market uh, materializes. Hopefully, the Indians are players in it. But we have it's too hot uh, right now, man. Too hot. <laughs> gotta let it cool down before. Yeah, we yeah, down. yeah. You don't, you don't want to, you know, you just gotta let it simmer for a little bit. <laughs> um, all right, we'll move in on to uh, our our weekly um, pity fest. Uh, the Cleveland Browns uh, losing nine to twenty four to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, successfully held Ben Roethlisberger to only one hundred sixty seven yards passing. Um, but let Le'Veon Bell run wild um, and just could not move the ball uh, in any way against uh, offensively. Uh, Cody Kessler exited the game with his second concussion of his rookie season. Uh, Chris, that's exactly what I was talking about, man. He's, I, I was concerned for his health, and look at that. He's facing another head injury in his rookie year. That's, that's just not good. He's going the way of Colt McCoy really quickly. If I'm a quarterback in college – and the Browns draft me, I'm going to Canada. I I, I just I, I I mean, look, man, this team has and we say it every week, but they just keep finding a new rock bottom, man. I, I didn't I didn't watch any of the game and people were saying that they were in it for a bit. Sure, that's the story of many Browns games. They lost twenty four to nine. How in it could you be? Yeah. Uh, the only, I mean, Bob, the Browns are just at the point where it's like, I don't even care. I, I don't care about any of it. I'm done. I, I just, they've broken me, man. They have really broken me. I, I, I just, yeah. it is so sad to see this franchise fall so far. Yeah, uh, I mean, we had a debate. Are they the worst team in in all three major sports in, in America? Um, and we said they were pretty close. You said they were they were a close second. I said they were. Um, I, I did not pay attention to this game at all. 
and I didn't feel bad for it. You know, sometimes I forget or I'm busy, but, um, this, I intentionally just did not watch, did not check for updates. I, I kept playing fantasy football and checked on those games and, and watched those games, but I, I could care less, uh, about an 0 and 10 team going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers this late in the game in the season. Um, fantasy yeah, I, football wasn't much of a relief for me cause I was facing Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Well, he had a good, he had a nice, he had a nice time <laughs> against the Browns. He dropped for 30 sure. points on me. Jeez. Yeah. It was not fun. Yeah. He had a nice, he had a fun, fun little weekend uh, against the Cleveland defense for sure. Uh, and Chris, Bob, Bob, are you ready for this ultimate salt on the wound? What's up? Cause I got a stat bomb here. Courtesy of Terry Pluto. Oh, yeah, I know. All right. Ben Roethlisberger just became the winningest quarterback in the history of the new Brown Stadium. Ten yep. victories. Tie him with Derek Anderson. Yeah. So, I mean, in 2017, he will be the winningest quarterback uh, in, <laughs> in first energy field uh, history. Because I mean, yeah, that's embarrassing, but, I mean – totally not surprising at all i mean a quarterback and a starter for the browns doesn't last a season he's been there for uh almost 10 years now so not surprising at all over 10 years now so bob we ready to break the big news yeah it's time it's time it's time well uh we didn't even make it to the bye week guys we are just (laughs) so tired of the pessimism that has become football fridays that we have put a fork in football Fridays. It is no longer a thing. We made it 11 weeks. We can't do it anymore, man. It's just too depressing. Friday is a day of awesomeness, and especially this weekend when most people are on a four-day weekend. We didn't want a damper Black Friday with an even blacker Friday, which is what our preview of the Browns matchups had become. So we're pulling a plug Maybe this will be the jolt they need to get on a win streak or something. But, yeah, we're, we're, we're no longer doing it. We just can't take it anymore, man. It's just too depressing. Yep. Football Fridays is going the way of the gimme extra point attempt in the NFL, um, which uh, a record high, like 10 extra points were missed uh, in the previous last weekend. So um, it was fun while it lasted. Uh, we will bring it back. We'll consider bringing it back uh, when the Browns look like a real team and we can, you know, give you some real analysis uh, about a potential matchup. It's a little, it it wears on you when all you do is say loss, loss, next, you know, and and there's really no debate about any of these games. I mean, uh, I mean, we're going to, we're not going to not talk about the previews and predictions for the Browns. We'll talk about each matchup, but um, having a whole bonus podcast for just a easy, you know, one minute discussion about the Browns outlook uh, on the next Sunday seemed a little silly and a little depressing. Speaking of that one minute discussion, I don't see how they beat the giants this weekend. Nope. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, no, no reason to, to, to veer away from that. Uh, no. The last game I attended as a fan was 2008 Monday night football when they beat the defending Super Bowl giants at home. So maybe, Maybe there's a chance that that magic can come back in the first energy stadium. But yeah. it'll only be a 5% chance because remember the Chris Sweeney uh, analysis, yeah. predictive 
when I, I changed the acronym too much, man. I don't, yeah. I don't <laughs> remember what it's called. Yeah. I mean, th- this was a game that we were tempted to pick in the Browns' favor, but um, the Giants, uh, for me, I-, I think you were a little bit more high on them. But for me, they're, they're exceeding my expectations. I thought they were more of a 500 team, and, and they're 7-3 and three second in the NFC East. And Eli Manning is putting together a, a nice season. Um, so, yeah, n- no way are the Browns going to win this game. But uh, uh, Who's going to cover dream. Odell Beckham more Sterling Shepard? Yeah, nobody. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, Bob, dude, you will be here for Thanksgiving, and you will also get a chance to witness the Cavs live at the queue. That's going to be pretty fun for you. Yeah. My first game since uh, 2015 Game 6 NBA Finals uh, where I went with you. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, My fiance has never been to a game at the queue. Uh, I'm excited to show her. Um, You know, we had plenty of opportunities pre uh kind of in that Kyrie Irving era in between LeBron James eras and um I, I went to some games but it's 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 a different experience to go see LeBron play and I'm, I'm really excited to, to do that again we also got a huge feast of football on this Thanksgiving Vikings Lions Cowboys Washington Pittsburgh Indianapolis this is some good games. I, I, I am legitimately excited for all three of these games this year, especially that Dallas-Washington game. I think that'll be a very fun one. Yeah, I think Vikings-Lions will be fun too. I mean, those are two quality defenses. I think the Vikings uh, are still a really good team. They're not as hot as they were, and they uh, are kind of on the level the Lions are. I think that'll be a great game. And then, uh, I don't know, Steelers-Colts uh, at – Indianapolis that could turn into a shootout if if the Steelers are are back up and running if 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 Ben is is healthy enough to to compete I think that'll be a really fun game to watch all righty so we're going to end on some non-Cleveland news but Bob shake up in the world of soccer Jurgen Klinsmann has been ousted as U.S. head coach and it looks like Bruce Arenas will take over the post Bob this is I mean it's not surprising because the reports have been rumbling but I don't like this move. I feel like they hired Klinsman to get them through two World Cups. And this was the building process that that he was hired for. I feel like they're pulling the plug a little bit prematurely. Yeah, I think you look for signs of improvement, though. Uh, you, you had a high in that 2014 World Cup, yeah, even though they, they were outplayed by Belgium in, the, in that round of 16. Um, they defied odds getting out of that group stage. And they, they seem to have regressed. And you thought that 2014 was a calling card, was going to be an announcement of, of new American soccer. But, you know, you had the Gold Cup fiasco that, that we covered uh, two summers ago, or excuse me, uh, one summer ago. Um, and now you had the, the, the World Cup qualifying matches, a loss to Mexico, which is understandable, but then a blowout loss to Costa Rica to open up World Cup qualifying 0-2. Um, it, it's just... You know, you, you, you're looking for signs of improvement and they just didn't seem to be there. Combine that with the fact that Klinsman has always been at odds with where American soccer is heading, which is an attempt to build up the MLS. He can he continually uh, down talks the MLS and trashes it as a, as a minor league soccer league, which uh, currently it, it certainly is. But uh, U.S. soccer is trending towards building up the MLS instead of sending their players abroad. Um, and he was against that. 
um, Bruce Arenas, you know, he, he was the most successful U.S. soccer coach in, in the last 20 years, had uh, some of the greatest moments in, in those World Cups. So um, they're, they're definitely not getting a, a chump coach uh, to replace him, but definitely I think that they – you know, Jurgen Klinsmann was was the long run, and they had a grand scheme to kind of bring German soccer to America, and it just it just really didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not saying Bruce Arenas isn't a good coach. I just think that I think that there needs to be some reflection here, man. I mean, the U.S. soccer team it, it's not an elite program, and, and the only way you're going to get there is to give it some time. And so, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not the biggest son- soccer connoisseur. I, I enjoy soccer, yeah. especially on the international stage, but. I just think that the U.S. men still have a long way to go to to be considered. I mean, if the end game is to ultimately be a serious World Cup contender, they are probably at least three World Cups away from that, which is about 12 years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Klinsman has has had the reins for five years, and I think he's just angered too many people and hasn't produced enough tangible results. Um, Maybe, you know, we've talked about it in the past, and I've always thought that, Klinsman was never going to be the guy that reaped the benefits of what he laid down. I, I think he was going to wear out his welcome, and then three or four years later, you know, the U.S. is going to be in a better place, and we're going to have Klinsman to thank, but we're going to have a different coach, uh, you know, getting the credit for it. Um, and I, that hopefully that that's the best case scenario. I, I think this is a little came a little sooner than than I expected for for that scenario, but um, you know, Klinsman is, is kind of a difficult guy to to swallow especially when when you lose so many matches um you know it's hard to it's hard to stomach that kind of hard line attitude all righty man well we'll see where u.s soccer goes from here we will also see where the browns and the buckeyes go from here this weekend um uh, we both have made predictions about that i think one is trending up and the other's trending down Not so bold prediction there. But anyway, we will be back next week to break it all down on another episode of Clee Talk. Remember, no more football Fridays. We don't want to sour your Thanksgiving with more pessimism. Speaking of Thanksgiving, we hope you enjoy it. Not just the football, but the food. Hopefully you're with your family. Hopefully you're not working in retail on Black Friday like I've had to do in the past. It's not not the funnest thing in the world. But... Hopefully you are able to enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend in some way, shape, or form with your family. That's the most important part. But, of course, the football's fun, too. So come back next week for another episode of Clee Talk. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Fenley Road Sports or on Instagram at Fenley Road Sports. Come to FenleyRoadSports.com and subscribe to our Clee Talk podcast through iTunes. You can click on the little iTunes link in the corner of our website. It'll get you right there. Or you can search for Fenley Road Sports and click Cleat Talk through iTunes, and that'll work as well, too. Rate us high, come back for more, and we appreciate your support. And until then, go Buckeyes. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.